welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, you are in for a treat because we have our first ever male guest on the Confident Feminine Body podcast. His name is Nasir Joachim, and he is simply magic. I met Nasir on Clubhouse. We instantly connected because we both love to dance. We're both very passionate about building business and helping others. And today, he is going to be sharing his heartfelt story about how he had to overcome many setbacks, negativity, and even abuse, and how he's transformed his life and is building his life now from this place of freedom and happiness. And he's so passionate about sharing his story and helping others. So I'm super excited to welcome you, Nasir, to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be the first male guest. I mean, I, I would say I, I'm the best first male guest <laughs> to have. Thank you so much. You are. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you here. So let's go back to the beginning. Will you share with us some of your background and your history and really all the challenges you had to overcome to really step into the Nasir that we see today. Yes, yes. And thank you so much. Because um, the Nasir that you see today was not the Nasir that started out at all. And um, so it takes me back all the way to Philadelphia, PA. So I was actually born in Philadelphia. And I lived with my mom for many years. And my mom is actually comes from an abusive background. So her mom and her did not get along. They would fight all the time and all that, uh, all those crazy things. And I actually then almost went into the system because the neighbors called the cops on my mom and her sister. I mean, not sister, and my mom and her mom. And a lady at the time, her name is Miss Weezy. She's actually not even my biological biological grandmother, but the guy that my mom was dating at some point, um, that was his mom. So we kind of thought that that was my grandmother. So they actually called her while she was at work and said, hey, like you either come get him or he's going into the system. And she's actually the person that I feel like has saved me. And she's been my guardian angel since then because we've been super close ever since then. My mom's tried to stop us from being close because I feel like she's really jealous of our relationship because she wasn't able to fulfill what she needed to fulfill. But from there... I didn't go into the system. I actually moved with her. And I was there from the age of two to about five. And then I moved back with my mom once I guess she got her stuff together, allegedly. But um, <laughs> her stuff didn't really get uh, get together. And um, I just faced a lot of abuse, negativity um, when I was with my mom. And then we actually moved to Georgia for a year because she got transferred uh, with H&M to open up the first H&M in Atlantic Station here. And the abuse actually got worse. 
Um, and it was a time that she like beat me really bad with an extension cord. And I had things all over my body, all over my face. And the school one day, my teachers and students were talking, basically like talking about it in the room, like, cause it's obvious and like it's on my face. And I then told my teachers of what happened and that's when everything like changed. <laughs> so um, from there, I, I told them and then the cops came to the school and I had to tell them and they took pictures and then they actually went to go pick up my sister from the other school cause her and I are two years apart went to go pick her up and then we actually went to like this holding place for a little while uh until our court date um we actually went to a foster home for a little bit too for like two two weeks yeah how old were you at this time i was actually at that time i was in fifth grade so i forget what age exactly fifth grade is yeah but i was in fifth grade uh when all of this happened and so I, 10 or 11 years old i think is fifth grade Okay, yeah, so I was super young. So having to go through telling the cops of, you know, what happened and what's going on, and then me also being confused because they just brought us to this place. I actually don't even remember getting there. I just remember waking up and I was in this place <laughs> and it wasn't bad per se. Like it wasn't bad. It was just weird. Cause like I woke up and it was my sister next to me, but then there was like a, a guy down like four beds down that was laying there too. And I'm like, who, where are we at? Um, so that happened. And then once the court date came, my dad, my grandparents on both sides, they all flew down and to the court date. And that was another a traumatic thing. It's just like having to speak to a judge and tell the judge like of everything is, has going on. And like, imagine being between the ages, um, you know, being between fifth and sixth grade, because that was when this all happened. Um, of having to go through all of this. And then they ruled me to move with my dad in Delaware. And that's where my life got a little bit better because I started to feel like I can actually do a little bit more. And even though I was in a better environment because we were in a five, uh, five bedroom house, a pool and a hot tub in the backyard, you know, one of the most popular people in my school. But the thing is, is that I still felt so alone because my dad was very neglectful. He was gone for months at a time. So it would be my stepmom and I, a lot of the time by ourselves. And then they had two sisters, I had two daughters. So I have two other sisters. Now I have a total of five sisters. <laughs> and um, it would be us like alone a lot of the time because he would be off doing things with business or whatever he was doing. And I just felt very alone. And I also just didn't want to be home. So I put myself in a lot of sports because I wasn't able to do that with my mom because the schools I went to didn't have those activities for me to partake in. So even though I was in a better environment, I still felt scared to be home and I didn't want to be home. And I still felt alone. So I put myself in musicals. I put myself in five different sports like swimming, football, track, lacrosse. Um, I did. I was editor-in-chief of my yearbook. My junior year of high school, I created the entire yearbook of 3,000 students by myself. <laughs> so it's like... I, I'm, it's a blessing that I went through all of those things because then it actually helped me build up the skill set that I have today. And then unfortunately, when I moved with my dad, I was there for high school. And then actually, as soon as I graduated, he kicked me out um, because then he found out that I was gay. And um, I was actually outed by our neighbor <laughs> because her, her 
younger son actually saw me at a football game with my boyfriend at that time. Um, and he saw us kiss, I guess, from a distance and told his mom and his mom told my dad. And I got um, kicked out from there. And then ever since then, I was just on my own. And I went from being homeless to having my car repossessed to jumping from job to job um, and just trying to figure it out. I had no guidance whatsoever when it comes uh, to life. But the one thing that I knew is that I needed to survive and I needed to figure it out. And Nasir always figures it out. Um, so I then became one of the youngest AGMs to work for Marriott. And I've been able to travel the US uh, and manage multi-million dollar hotels and resorts across the US. And I've managed up to 150 people at one time. And I've put in the systems in place in a lot of these Marriott and Hilton and IHG hotels across the US that people don't even know, know about. Uh, a lot of those checklists and uh, you know, daily activities and operations were done by me. Um, so I've just, even though I've been in a low point, I've had so many high points. I've even been to New York Fashion Week because I've been signed as a model. And then now I'm in the process of building up my marketing and branding CRM agency. And now we're here today. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was a lot. That was yeah. a lot. Like you have been through so much and how inspiring is it to just hear all of those hurdles and challenges and obstacles and how you, do you feel like you always had sort of this relentless energy of, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to figure this out. Like, do you, when did that first, when do you first remember feeling that of like, I have my own back? Cause that's what I see when you're sharing that story is that you like your home life was so unstable Mm -hmm. and, but you always had a sense of like rootedness in yourself of like, I've got my own back. Was it always like that for you? Or did you have to really cultivate that within yourself? Yeah, I think it's been in me for a while. You know what I mean? To the point to where I don't remember exactly where it was cultivated in my life, but I do remember, and I hope I don't get emotional with saying this, but I do remember after my mom would beat me for like a, a long, not long periods of time, but she would beat me and I would be like screaming for probably like 10, 15 minutes. And I would go to the bathroom and I would just cry and just see myself in the mirror because I didn't want... It just felt like, you know, everything was just my fault from I would have to go to court for child support and I would have to call my dad to, you know, make sure you send the money and all that stuff. And I just felt like everything was always just my fault. But I remember sitting in the mirror and just crying my eyes out. And I will always tell myself that you are a miracle because I wasn't even supposed to be alive. I actually was uh, got meningitis when I was two and I was about a millisecond from actually passing away. Uh, and if I didn't die, I was going to be paralyzed because it's like a spinal infection. So I wasn't even supposed to be alive. And that has always been something that was embedded in me. And my nine biological grandmother that I talked about that has been my main supporter, my guardian angel, she has always told me that. So I think she's really the reason why it has been embedded in me that I've always had my back, my own back, even when my parents didn't even have my own back. Yeah, because she was in your life, you said from two to five that you were really living with her. And that is like, when the brain is developing so much. And yeah. what a blessing that you were in that safe container with her during that crucial time in your life. Yeah. And I love how you looked in the mirror and told yourself you are a miracle. Like just that is, it brings up so many emotions because it's like, how do we give ourselves that love and that belief in ourselves? 
when you literally were just being beaten by your mother, the woman who was supposed to love you unconditionally and protect you and keep you safe. And it was quite the opposite. And for you to see yourself in the mirror and see the bruises and the wounds, and then be able to say, you are a miracle. Wow. I mean, that is, that is so powerful. And I would love to talk about being in the LGBTQ community and that journey of someone else outing you, being kicked out. Um, I'm sure there's people listening in the LGBTQ community that can can learn and or just relate to your story. And how, I mean, there's so many different layers of, of what you've been through, right? Like the abuse, the inconsistency of of your childhood home, not feeling safe at home. It sounds like you had to become an adult from a very young age. So I like a sense of like your childhood is, do you feel like your childhood was taken from you? Do you, do you feel like, how does that, and if you feel that way, how do you not hold on to resentment and anger around that? Cause it feels like you've done so much work in releasing some of that because that could easily be that story that just like takes you down. Right. And you, and you're a fighter, you're a survivor, you're a thriver. So do you feel like your childhood was taken from you? And if so, you know, how, how did you kind of get out of that, that resentment energy? Yeah. It's crazy that you asked that because I do feel like my, my childhood was taken from me um, because I didn't see a lot. Like I remember being in, uh, in high school, um, talking to my old best friend, Courtney, we were best friends for like years. Um, and she would ask me about these childhood movies. And I'm like, what is that? Like, I've never heard of that. Like Cinderella. I didn't see that until I was actually in high school. I'd never seen Wizard of Oz until I was in high, you know what I mean? Until I was able to make more of decisions myself and I could go places by myself. Um, so yes, I do feel like my childhood was robbed because I felt like that I had to always be the adult. And even today, I still have to be the adult, even though I'm the child. And it, it, it sucks because... It's like, when is anybody ever going to have my back? And it a lot of this release did not come until actually these last like year or so. Um, and before before then, I was still angry. I was still very angry. And I remember when I lived with my dad, I would talk crap about my mom all over Facebook all the time. And my dad, my mom would call my dad and be like, get your son, get your son, because he's talking about me. But what do you expect when the only thing that you've implemented into me as a child is anger? And this is how you solve situations. You know what I mean? And none of my parents, and this is for any parent that's listening, take responsibility of being a parent. It's your job to be a parent. It's not the child's job to work around you of your parenting. You know what I mean? And I feel like my entire life, it's always been me having to work around my parents rather than it being the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And that causes so much trauma for the child because it, it, it literally robs them of being a child because now they're stepping into the place of caretaker, which is just it's just impossible for a child to do that. It's, it's unrealistic and it's unfair. And I love how you shared the example of the movies, because that's one of those things where you would just, yeah, you would, 
if you, if you had a semi-normal childhood, you know, it would be like, oh, remember watching this show? And, and you're like, I don't remember watching that show. You know, I, and that's just like a little crumb of the things that you didn't get to experience, right? And I can see how, yeah, anger was modeled to you, right? Like anger was modeled in words and physical actions. And as a parent, if you're not teaching your kids I mean, it really starts with you. You have to learn as a parent. I love how you said, take responsibility. You have to learn how to regulate your own emotional state because otherwise, how do you expect your child to, right? And so you absolutely have to take responsibility. And I'll say too, as a mom of a five-year-old and eight-year-old, your kids bring up every shadow that you have, every limiting belief, every trauma, every piece of self-doubt, it will all bubble to the surface, but it's an opportunity. It's not that you have to do it perfect, but it, to me, the word that keeps coming through is like unconditional love is how do you, how do you do your work? But how do you know, even when you make mistakes as a parent, like I've made mistakes as a parent where I've raised my voice at my kids or I've snapped at them. And I feel horrible because I, I'm the adult. My prefrontal cortex is fully developed. Theirs isn't, right? So it's my job. So I need to own my stuff. So I'll go to my kid later when I've calmed down and say, I, you know, I was frustrated because this happened, but I should not have yelled at you. You, you do yeah. not, we, that is not how we handle emotions. That is not a good way to handle your emotions, right? You have to take responsibility. And I've never gotten that ever, ever. I've never heard my parents ever say that. I think I've heard my dad say that one time. And that was the one time that he uh, he beat me and I, ha I had marks on my body and he didn't want the same thing to happen that my happened to my mom. So that's, I feel like the only reason why <laughs> he did take a apology. It was more like, I, I don't want to, you know, have to go to court. So sorry about that. Exactly. And he actually brought my stepmom in to be the one to be more of the person that said because I have more of a connection with her because once again it was always her and I by ourselves so I have more of a connection with her so he sent her in to more so say it than him so at the time as a child like a lot of the time I would also play stupid too you know what I mean like make you think that I don't know what's going on but in actuality I know exactly what's going on and I feel like a lot of parents they they think their kids can't consume certain things and they don't get certain things. And you will be see, so surprised on how much kids can actually understand. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh, a thousand percent. They, they really get it. And even if they don't understand the words, kids are, they're empaths, they're intuitives. They feel your energy. They, they can feel if you are, if you're, if you're being honest with what you're saying, or if you're kind of holding back, they're so smart. So I, I completely agree. Um, I think one of the things that I'm breaking in the, in my cycle of parenting, and I didn't actually experience this in my household, but I know so many other people in my generation have, which is that children are supposed to be seen, not heard. Right. So I, my husband and I are very, very intentional about deconstructing that paradigm and saying, no, actually our children's voices do matter. They're independent people. They're not our mini me's They're their own unique person, their own unique light and their voice matters. And it doesn't matter how old they are, their voice matters. And we are going to listen to them and we're going to honor them. And I think it's like deconstructing 
you know, that old paradigm of like, oh, well, let's put the kid in their place, you know? Um, so I have so, so many questions for you. So getting back to the being gay and, and, and how, how was that for you in terms of discovering that you were gay? I'm curious, like when you first knew you were gay, if that's not too personal of a question (laughs) (laughs) and sort of your journey in, in that, um, with that, with, with your dad and then leaving home and how did you navigate that within yourself? Yeah. So, and this section is going to be a trigger warning, just letting you know. (laughs) Um, um, And I remember the first time that I found out I was, uh, like, I realized that I was gay, um, like, consciously, consciously, was when I used to watch Degrassi. And I used to see the the gay couple uh, on Degrassi. And I used to be like, I can't wait to get to high school so that I can be free and open like they are. You know what I mean? And I that was the first time that I consciously remember. And then from that moment, I would go back, go back in my memories and be like, you know, I knew there too, when I was playing with Barbies, you know, my sister, or I knew there too, when I felt more comfortable with my female cousins than my male cousin, you know what I mean? When it came to, you know, being with them and being around them um, and stuff like that. And then I also would realize that I had attraction to guys, even when I was super little, people don't realize like, even when I was around like five, four, like I still had a, um, an attraction to men in a different way that I felt like probably should be for females. But I always forced myself to have that feeling more for females than men because of the negativity and the thoughts that was put onto me. Because my dad always felt that way about, you know, gay people for a while and it came up that he was actually touched by his brother so i feel like that's part of the reason why he feels the way that he feels about the lgbt community and then it actually came up years later that i was actually molested by my cousin um, when i was little and it happened for years between the age of like eight to about 10 11. um and he used to drop me off over there all the time and when my dad would go out and run errands and stuff like that, because once again, he was never really around. Um, and I didn't tell anybody for years because I didn't want anybody to think that I was gay from it or even know that I was gay. Like, and I didn't want anybody to think that I was gay because of that. You know what I mean? And also, I didn't want anybody to feel I felt dirty. You know what I mean? I felt like I didn't have control over that. So then I started looking at, you know, sex in a whole different way. And I was over overly sexual sexualized like at such a young age like it's crazy now that I think about it like he used to like make us like play house with like his brother and it was just very very just uncomfortable now that I look back at it and um I I feel like that when it came up my dad made that as a point was like you're not gay because of this and that was the main reason why I didn't want to say anything for a while but the only reason I did is because my therapist actually made me tell my parents because I told her during a session and you know legally she's supposed to um from there so then she she made me tell my parents and exactly what I didn't want it to be turned it into what it what it was and them thinking that you know I'm gay or whatever because of this situation and I'm able to actually differentiate the two yeah and hearing you share that story thank you for your vulnerability in that um I I think there's you free someone's heart when you're honest about your story yeah and so I want to thank you for that but I I what, what it's coming through to me is, is the whole idea of blame, you know, yeah. 
if people are uncomfortable with the LGBTQ community, there has to be someone to blame, right? Like if my son's gay, who can I blame? Oh, well, it's because of this. And what's so upsetting about that is again, it kind of goes back to this thing of, do we not listen to this human being that's my son saying, it has nothing to do with that dad. This is who I am. This is who I was born as. This is who, who I am and, and accept me for that. And this idea that, oh no, I got to find this other person to blame. Or, I mean, it's essentially kind of saying, no, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you're saying is true. I need to find this other thing. Right. And so how did you, so you got kicked out of your dad's house and you said you were homeless. I would love to tell us a little bit more about like, how did you go from that being homeless, feeling so like rejected and unseen by your family or your dad in that circumstance, um, identifying as gay in a society that still is very, there's a lot of discrimination, right? And I know we talked about too, like you also embrace this beautiful feminine energy, which I know you've also shared is not always accepted in the gay community, which I think is really interesting too. So I would love for you to tell us more about like, how did you go from that place and processing all that into this person who was able to step into a place of positivity and like connection to self? Yeah, so I was always a very positive, uh, positive, but also mean person at the same time. Like my, my personality has done so many different shifts in it. It's crazy. Like I went from being a person that my only friends was my teachers and like elementary school to the middle school being bullied and then to high school, like, you know, being a big B-I-T-C-H, you know what I mean? (laughs) So um, for me, after I got kicked out, actually, I then moved in with an ex-best friend's family. So this is a crazy story. I was no longer friends with her. We were friends from middle school and we went to then two different high schools, but her mom loved me. Like she absolutely loved me. And she always told, it was so crazy because even when we were in middle school, she always told me when, if anything ever happens to you, let, please let me know. And I will always be there for you. Cause I've always had this fear of getting kicked out since ever since middle school, like always. So um, she always knew that. And when that moment came, I called her and she was, of course, open arms. So I actually lived with them for about like eight months before I then moved with my mom here in Atlanta. So that's why I'm in Atlanta now, because I tried to rebuild that relationship with her because I'm a very forgiving person, a very, very forgiving person. And I am also very logical that like, I get it. You didn't come from a good background of family, you know, of a mom. And I made excuses for her. But then I moved down here same person, (laughs) no difference. So at that point, it's now I'm just using I'm just using this as an excuse to justify your actions when in actuality, you don't want to be a different person. You're perfectly fine being miserable, being mean, being. So when it comes to like me getting kicked out and feeling like alone from there, I moved with my mom and then she kicked me out actually, because then her and I got into another debacle because she doesn't know, she doesn't know me. Like we went literally years without talking and in those developmental stages, you have no clue who I am. She didn't come to my graduation. She didn't come to my prom. Um, she didn't like, she was didn't partake in any activity. So she didn't have no clue of who I was when I moved in with her. So the only memories that she really has of me is all of that resentment of me sending her to jail, me have us going through that entire process and all that stuff. Um, so it just wasn't the best outcome at all. And 
um, from there, once she kicked me out, then I was homeless and I would went to go sleep on my friend's couch. Um, she got evicted. And then we actually, I had a manager at that time and he was actually my saving grace. His name is Peter. And he actually talked to the sister hotel that was in our franchise to get up, get us a free room for two weeks. So I was able to figure it out. So I was actually able to stay in that hotel for like two weeks to be able to then find an apartment. But I had to lie to find the apartment because nobody wanted to be my co-signer. I didn't have any really any credit because I didn't know what credit was. So nobody wanted to be my co-signer, my family, like my mom, my dad, my grandfather, nobody. So I actually then made fake pay stubs to to show that I worked at like a barber shop <laughs> to try to, you know, get an apartment because I was a server and they didn't accept being a server as, you know, a source of income because it fluctuates. Um, so I've just always had this positivity about me when it came to who I am as an individual and the outcomes of my life, because I've saw me go through other things and I survived that. So if I can go through that, and survive it, what makes you think I can't go through another thing, survive that, go through another thing, survive that. And I realized that every single thing I went through built an extra layer of skin on me that made me feel so much more powerful and so much more confident about who I am. So without all of those experiences, quite frankly, I don't think Nasir would be who he is today without it. So I don't ever say that I regret anything that happened, but it was very unfortunate of everything that has happened. I'm so inspired by you. Like, yes, that is, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like ev all of your life experiences have shaped you to be the person that you are today, which is a total rock star. Thank you. So talk about like what you're doing now, like what life is like now for this year. And I also would love for you to talk about like how to navigate being feminine in business yeah. because that can kind of be a different energy as well. So give us a scoop, like, what are you up to today? How are you operating? What is the kind of mindset work you're, you're, you're continually doing? And how are you embracing your feminine in business? That was a lot of questions. No, 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 I totally got it though. And to speak on the feminine part first, cause I know that you asked that in the last area and I didn't touch on it, um, is that even in the gay community being feminine is something that's looked down on, which is absolutely boggling to me. Um, but it's like looked down on because I feel like a lot of people in the gay community utilize heterosexuality as the model if that makes sense. Um, so a lot of like gay guys in the community feel like you need to be a little bit more masculine to still play that masculine role and to be a top. And then you need to be a little bit more feminine to play that feminine role, which is a bottom. And, you know, and that's still a model of a heterosexual relationship, if that makes sense. So in the same way that females are put down in the, you know, heterosexual space, it's the same thing in the gay community. Um, feminine guys are put down because of their femininity in the same way that women are. So for me, that's why I've always been such an advocate for women because I'm not feminine just because like, I, I don't classify myself as a feminine individual. I'm very versed in every aspect of the word from the things that I do uh, to how I act to how I dress and all of that stuff. So I don't just put myself in just a feminine or masculine box. And when it comes to business, 
that's um it, it's been very interesting you know and at first I would like code switch of like how I would act you know code switching especially for like black people it's like when you start speaking a certain type of way or like uh and again for gay people it's when you start butching up you know what I mean <laughs> um when you're around certain people so I would code switch at first but then I realized that to be honest I don't give a fuck and if you don't like the fact and sorry if I curse you know I'm a, I'm a cursor this ain't Christian Mingle so <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I realized that I just don't care, you know what I mean? And then I just started being myself. And now I've realized within my marketing agency, most, all of my clients actually are females. And that's what I prefer to work with more because men are egotistical. Men think they know everything. Men will literally hire you for a job, but then tell you how to do it. And I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not doing this and it's not worth my damn time. So women actually is the reason why I even have a marketing and CRM agency today. So now what I've been doing is after I got fired from Marriott, I then made my marketing and branding agency because I was already managing, you know, hotels across the U.S. and I've been able to understand how to run a business. When you're an AGM, you're practically running a business. People think just because it's a management role that you're not really doing anything, but you make the decisions when it comes to the accounting, when it comes to the marketing, when it comes to the hiring. So I was able to learn how to run a business, but I didn't understand how to start a business. So I would I went back to my own network of people in the hotel industry and said, hey, like, I now have my own company. Your marketing sucked last time I was in Boston working at your hotel. Let me help you. <laughs> so that's what I started doing. But then a lot of hotels couldn't get clients. They, I mean, not clients, uh, they couldn't get employees. So because, you know, we're going through a big labor crisis right now. And I had to pivot. I had to figure it out. So then that's when I started to really start working with coaches and consultants and doing short form video live webinars and stuff like that um, to teach other people how you can run a proper business. And now I'm helping coaches and consultants put better systems in place in their business to expand their brand sales and impact utilizing our CRM because I've been able to put these systems in major brands. And people don't realize no matter how big the brand is, if you don't have proper systems, your business is going to fail. And that's exactly what my job was when I went into these hotels was to figure out the problem, put a solution in place, and then and get more revenue coming in. So that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And if you guys are not following Nasir on Instagram and all the places you have to, and Nasir and I bond over Instagram reels, like we love making reels, which are short form videos. Nasir is a master trainer on how to do that. Um, and wow, Nasir, I love how you, I mean, you pivot all the time, right? Like <laughs> you're constantly pivoting. You're like, okay, this isn't working. I can't live here. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. And you you just described that with business. And this is also why you and I are so aligned is like to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have that energy. You have to have that energy of, okay, this isn't working. Okay. Let's go back to the drawing board. And there has to be a sense of relentless pursuit of your passion. And I love like what you just described around getting systems set up in the business is so important. And so many entrepreneurs are, are great visionaries, but they're not great at the details. And that's actually something I struggle with, to be quite frank, is is really setting up like operating procedures and systems and easily repeatable things because I'm such a visionary. I'm a big picture thinker. I see, you know, I'm so inspired. I get all these downloads, but to really 
get it into a repeatable system that you can, you know, pass this manual to your new employee and, and that consistency in building a company. So I know so many people are, would be served by what you're doing. And it's obvious that you're so passionate about it. And that's one thing I love about you is just, it really is like, you have this light in you, you have this fire that clearly you were born on this earth with, right? Like you came out of your mama, like on fire, like here comes Nasir. Why? I am a Leo. So that's, I'm a fire sign. So that's a, that's a good point. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that. See, I saw your fire. Like I see, I feel your fire and it's just, it's so beautiful. And I think, um, I think so many people are going to be inspired by your story and, and just your positivity. I mean, I think that's really incredible that you, despite everything you've been through, you are still so positive. And I also appreciate that you had a time where you were in an angry place because you should like, yeah, like get (laughs) over, over trauma, get angry over all the things you've been through. You know, I think there's a lot of like bi- spiritual bypassing that happens when we have these conversations of like, oh, but like, I, you know, I'm just positive and everything's great. It's like, no, you have to go through like processing all those feelings. And so many of us are afraid of our anger or, or we don't even know how to feel it, especially as women. And like in that feminine energy, it's like men are actually taught that it's like they don't know how to feel their feelings, but they they're taught like it's okay to have rage. It's okay to be really angry. Right. And so for women, I find in working with my clients, a lot of women, they have deep seated anger, but they don't know how to actually feel it or express it. Mm -hmm. So I love, like, I know that I remember you talking on clubhouse about this at one point where you were like, I was in kind of a bad place where I was like, the anger was like overwhelming, overwhelming you. And I just want to hold space for the fact that I'm so happy that that was actually part of your journey because I believe that that's part of why you are so positive is that you allowed yourself to feel your feelings and be honest and be angry about all of the things that happened that were so out of your control, especially as a child. And, um, and so I, I want everyone to kind of take that part of Nasir's story in is that Yes, Nasir is like so positive and and has this innate fire within him, but he also, I think has been really, I mean, just how open and honest he is about sharing his story and processing his feelings, I think is part of why you are where you are today. Yeah. And, you know, women are absolute super people, like superhumans, you know what I mean? And that's between women, the LGBT community, I feel like are some of the strongest people. But the reason why our communities continue to be suppressed is because um, a lot of men do not want us to overpower them. And what you've just talked about is women are not told to really express their emotions, especially when it comes to anger, um, because you have to go through that cycle in order for you to come full circle with yourself. Because me going through all of that stuff, I can now say confidently and willingly that no one in this goddamn world knows Nasir better than Nasir knows him. And it's, 
that's the kind of feeling that I want every single woman that is listening to this podcast, every single person to be get, uh, really, but specifically women, because I feel like this is a community that um, is, isn't being able to speak, you know, in the way that they need to speak. Just realize that it takes that feeling that for you to fully understand yourself, because I was able to process those emotions and see, oh, why am I angry? Oh, it's because of this. Let me go face this issue. So that I can then move on with my damn life. And if I didn't do that, I would still be in this situation of anger and I wouldn't be able to move forward because even to this day, I mean, I still feel some type of way towards them, but I don't hate them in the way that I did before. Absolutely. That, that makes so much sense. It's like, you can forgive them, but that doesn't mean that what they did was okay. Yeah. That will never be okay. Right. And I, yeah, I love it because that is what I've seen in the women that I talk to is that they, a lot of them have gone through trauma and it's, it's caused them to shrink. It's caused them to be small. It's to feel small, right? They're not small, but they feel small and it's caused them to edit themselves. A lot of women I, I work with, they're constantly editing themselves because they're constantly trying to gauge the temperature of the room. What is this person going to think of me? And whenever you're in that space, whoever is listening, first of all, just know that that's, that's normal. We all experience that. We all go through that. But whenever you're in that place of feeling like you're, you're editing yourself, you're not being honest, you're not speaking your truth, always come back in, come back within, because what Nasir said is the money, it is the ticket, it is the key. And he said, I know that no matter what has happened to me or what will happen to me, I, I am grounded in who I am. I am Nasir. I have my own back. And that is, that is always my goal too. Nasir is like, that is, that is my mission, right? Is how do we get people back rooted and and connected to themselves? Last thing that I'll say too, is that this is why also a lot of women get into relationships that don't suit them is because that they don't fully understand themselves. I've gone through so many different relationships with so many different guys to now lead with the boyfriend that I have today. That's absolutely phenomenal. He would do anything for me. He understands me better than I feel like a lot of other people in my life has. He supported me in ways that my own freaking family has not even supported me in. And it's just absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, my point of point is, is that you want to be able to face those things about yourself so that you can fully know yourself so that you can then share a life with somebody that complements all of those things that you love and that you know about yourself. So I just wanted to add that point in there as well. I'm so glad you did. That is, that's powerful. That's super powerful. Thank you. So to close, if people want to see your fun, real videos, which by the way, you guys, Nasir is, his videos are so fun. So you have to go check him out on Instagram, but where can they find you if they want to learn more about um, you, your business, your work? Yeah, so I'm uh, Nasir, so N-A-S-I-R underscore J-O-A-C-H-I-M on every single platform. And if you're listening out there, branding strategy is you do the same. Make sure that your handles are consistent on all platforms so that when people are looking for you, it's easy for them to search you. Like if somebody puts my name in on Google, you're going to find all of my social platforms and any podcasts or uh, magazines that I've been in. So ensure that you do that. And also uh, royalty ads as well. If you're looking for a CRM software to help you put those systems in your business that isn't going to nickel and dime you like other companies do, then we have that as well. (laughs) 
Amazing. And we will be sure to put all the links to your social handles and everything in the show notes so people can easily find you. But thank you, Nasir, for today. This was so incredible. You are so inspiring. I can't wait to see all of the lives that you're going to continually impact and change and shift. And I just celebrate you, my friend. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you. And no, thank you so much for having me. And I'm grateful for and honored to be your very first male uh, speaker on here. And uh, really, I, I don't think there would have been a better choice because, and the reason why I say that is because women have been the reason why I'm here today. Women have been the people that have implemented into me that you are okay being exactly who you are. So I just want to say thank you to you and thank you to every single woman that is listening to this podcast because you are a superhuman and you deserve everything that is coming your way. So thank you so much for having me. I'm Elizabeth Marbury and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. See you next time.